Sensitive, gifted, aware. You are listening to The Brave Files, real stories from people living courageously. You can listen to the show anywhere you enjoy podcasts, and we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference, and we appreciate it. Now here's your host, Heather Vickery. Hey, everybody. It's Heather Vickery. Happy Thursday. You know, we spend a lot of time as adults talking about braving new things, trying new things, getting out of isolation, avoiding depression, having connection. But at least from my perspective, we don't put a lot of effort into this conversation when it comes to our children. Today's guest, Courtney Harris, helps young people get out of worry and isolation and anxiety and into connection. And Courtney says that developing her lens of self-awareness was her pathway into bravery. I am excited to have you here, Courtney. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Heather. I love this conversation and I love the work you put out into the world. So thank you. Oh, that's very kind of you to say thank you so much. So I really do love what you're up to. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and then what led you into this line of work? Definitely, yes. So my background's really this this journey started in my own teen years. This journey really started with my own experience of having a rough go at the teen years and struggling with depression, but not really having the name depression, not really Mm. knowing what I was going through, feeling rather lost and even disconnected from my parents who, who were there, they were present, but there was definitely like, um, you know, our paths weren't really crossing or connecting in the way that I needed and and likely in the way that they needed for us to really feel connected. And, you know, so that's the, that's the starting ground. But as far as my professional journey, I spent 10 years in the classroom as an educator. So I've been a special education English teacher. And I also taught social and emotional learning, which I say is AKA the how to be human class that we all need. We all need it. And so it's interesting you say that when you say social and emotional learning, I want to know a, what you mean by that. And B, did you teach that just within special ed or was that outside of that? Yeah, it was outside of special ed. It was a mainstream class. I actually worked at a campus that was piloting the program for all ninth grade students to take the- Wow. So high school. Yeah. Yes, high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll just shorten it for social and emotional learning and say <laughs> SEL. And so, yeah, we piloted the program. You know, we had, oh my gosh, I mean, we had like how many students? 700 freshmen taking this course. Wow. It was amazing. It was incredible. And Where was this? This is in Austin, Texas. Austin, yeah. Texas. So a local school here in Austin, Texas, okay. a public school. Yeah. And okay. So what do I mean when I say SEL? Because, and that's a great question because this pathway or this sort of theory and idea and instructional, this rich instructional ground that I was using my classroom really does influence and inform my practice, my coaching practice. And so really what it means is awareness of our social personas, our emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. and the ways that we're just aware of the ways that we as humans are in social situations, we need community, we need socialization to feel connected and to feel whole. And that also requires being in touch with our emotional bodies or the experiences of the sensations and emotion and, and feelings that we go through in a given day and, and beyond. I love that. So my kids go, is this a, a John Dewey based program that you know? It's of? not. No. Well, okay. it's, 
you, uh, most of our, so there's a collaborative for academic and social and emotional learning, C-A-S-E-L. And that's where we pulled most of our like broader framework for the curriculum, but no, it's different. Okay. Interesting. Well, my kids go to a progressive ed school um, that's Dewey based, but it is very social and emotional based period, the entire school K through eight. Uh, and awesome. so- my girls were really brought up in that type of environment. And it's been such a gift to us as they they grow and learn to navigate. In fact, it's so funny. My third grader said to me at the dinner table last night, one of her classmates said she'd rather be smart than be able to get along with people socially. And this conversation had come because they were talking about Albert Einstein and how mm -hmm. he was clearly very, very smart, but really struggled socially. Um, and my little one said to me, I don't think I would pick that. I, I think that I'd rather be able to get along in the world than be super smart and have to be all by myself, which mm. I thought was really brilliant. And I said, well, luckily you're both, but <laughs> I, you know, I agree street smart yes. versus book smart, you know, things can be taught book smarts can be taught. It's all just memorization mm -hmm. and rep repetition, but um, the social and emotional stuff, that's really where it's at, I think. So yeah, I there's a lot to that. nurture. And I mean, that's really inspiring just to hear that she's having that conversation, right? And going through that metacognitive process of thinking about like, okay, well, who am I in the world and how do I show up and how am I connecting? And, yeah. you know, and connecting academically or intellectually is a way, right? Um, so that's, but that's very interesting that she's thinking on that and sharing that with you. It was, that's it cool. was, it was fun. And I can remember my, I have, so I have four kids, which everyone who listens knows, but uh, my current seventh grader, when she was in kindergarten, I had a parent stop me and say, I was so impressed with Eve today. She didn't like something that was happening around her socially. And she said, I just want to stop you and tell you that I don't like the way it feels when you do that. Mm. I'm uncomfortable when you say that. Could you not say that around me? Yes. And, and her friends went, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. But the mom was like, wow, like what kindergartner can do that? And I'm like, that's totally the school. And also this child's very in touch wow. with her emotions, but it that's is awesome. so important. Isn't that fun? Yes. I love that. I mean, and that's, <laughs> it's, she had the language, right? She had the tool of language. Yes that even if we don't know exactly what to say or how to say it, as far as like, we don't maybe know why it's making us uncomfortable. We're not sure exactly what, you know, something that's happening around us may be rubbing us the wrong way. And, but to be able to just have the tool of a few words that put a pause there, you know, that's, yeah. it's really powerful. So it, that's exciting. Thank you. And so you're doing this work with teenagers, which I think is yeah super important. Although I'd love to see us tap in at a younger age and sort of build a community of, of kids, a generation of kids that grow up tapping Absolutely. into this. Yes. Um, are you still working in the school system at all? Or are you just coaching? No. So full-time coaching. Yes. And I specialize, as you said, in working with teenagers and I also work with young adults. So, you know, emerging adults, later teens into twenties, um, considering college, going to college, going mm -hmm. into first jobs, those kinds of transitions um, as well. It's so smart. And when you sent in an application to be on the show, I was really excited because I feel like these kids are just often left a little bit on an island to sort of figure this stuff out and mm -hmm. love that there are people like you out there helping them. What caused you to transition from being in the classroom to doing this type of coaching? Um, well, that's a really good question. And it's a two pronged answer. So the, the one part, um, which is kind of, you know, the 
looking into my brave journey, I would say is recognizing over those 10 years of being in the classroom, I would say probably starting at year six to seven, I started to realize that there were some aspects of the teaching life that were not Mm. fully in alignment with my needs and my personality. So I'm highly sensitive person, introvert, uh, empathetic, you know, so I have all these kinds of, um, or empathic. And so I have all these character traits that made it quite challenging for me to be in a classroom situation where I have 175 students and the number of transitions in a day is so many. And so there was this recognizing that there were some parts that weren't fitting. And I, over that, you know, say I said from year six to seven is when that started to hit me. And so over those three to four years, I was really staying aware of what parts of this do I love? What parts of this resonate with me? What parts of this, um, help me develop my gifts, you know, and help me to really be the best version of myself. And so over those years, I recognized that it was the one-on-one and the small group situations. It was the creating classroom community or, and, and really co-creating just because yeah. I was the facilitator. I wasn't the creator. I was a facilitator. So right. um, that was one prong of it. And then the other is recognizing the need because mm-hmm. I saw that my, the students that I was working with, wanted more adult mentors, wanted more connections with adults that affirmed them, supported them. And it's, you know, some of them were getting it from home. Some of them were getting it from teachers. Some of them were getting from both. And still, I think there's something very powerful to have someone that is outside of your family system and your educational network that you can look to and partner with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody who's not invested Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big deal. So what makes you I get this question all the time, because I, I also coach mm-hmm. what makes you different than a therapist other than probably licensing? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, one thing that I think is super great about coaching is it's really action oriented as far yep. as where do you want to go? What are some of those goals that you have? What are some of the visions you hold for yourself? And then what are the concrete steps that you take to get there? And sometimes that means we're going to brainstorm and come up with a strategy and you're going to try it and feel like that didn't work. That did not resonate. That didn't feel like you. That's actually a great answer too. So now let's figure out what is it. And you know, this, to be more concrete here, I'm specifically thinking about when I work with teenagers who do identify as introverts and they're struggling in their social lives and they're trying to find a way of socializing that honors who they are, where they feel authentic, but they are getting that human connection that they need and crave and want. And so sometimes you talk about different strategies and they'll go out and try one and they come back and say, "Mm -mm, that wasn't, that wasn't their fit and great. Let's find the next one. And so, you know, for me, there's a lot of that action-oriented problem-solving involved in coaching. Uh, totally agree. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Um, I always say there's there's some tactical, analytical stuff that goes with it. We're not, yeah. just, we're <laughs> not just talking about the problems, and we're, we're really putting systems in place to create some change. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. What's the youngest age that you typically work with? The youngest I've worked with so far is actually seven, so definitely oh, wow. not a teenager, um, but falling under that same category of social and emotional learning. And um, in the situation with the younger clients that I have have worked with, it's been a lot of naming and describing their emotional sensations and experiences, mm-hmm. and then connecting that with their parents and coming up with 
you know, color coding systems for what kinds of moods they're in and what that indicates and if they need a break or coming up with like a secret word that the family can use that's just kind of like the pause button, you know, so different strategies yeah. of helping the family I love that. develop their emotional awareness so that they can be in stronger communication. And so the youngest, you know, has been a very different, we work on different sure. skills and goals than yeah. with my teenage clients. Are, do you work with your clients only in person or is it virtual? It's both. Yeah. Actually, that's funny because the seven-year-old was virtual and she was the she was the youngest, you know, she's the youngest client I worked with and she was virtual. So that was super <laughs> cool for me. And Interesting, what I yeah. describe is, so I do in person here in the Austin area and then virtually with anyone. And one thing that is, I tell people when they're so curious about the virtual work is, um, you know, how can they sustain that attention span? And, you know, does it really translate? And I tell them, oh, don't you worry. We can, we can be in separate rooms and I'll say, let's hold on. We're each going to do 10 push-ups, and this, you know, my client is in New York in their bedroom and I'm here in Austin in my office and we're going to do 10 push-ups because we needed an energy shift. And it's, it's okay that we're far away. We can still do the same types of things that I might do in an in-person session That's brilliant. that are not keeping our faces glued to a, a, glued to a screen. And you do those things with them. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So <laughs> yeah. in your experience, do teenagers or children in general experience fear, isolation, anxiety differently than adults do? You know, I think that I was hopeful in my own journey, like, oh, once high school is over, I'll go to college and it's going to be really different. And once I finish <laughs> college, I'm going to get my first job and it's going to be really different. Right. Oh, and yeah. So my short answer is no, I think it's, you know, it's the same thing, but the, the main difference is that the teenage brain, the adolescent brain is not fully developed until the mid to late twenties. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, I'll just characterize it as the teenage brain, the teenage brain does not have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. So critical thinking, problem solving, yeah. rational thinking, all of those things are not fully developed so there may be more tendencies towards impulsive behaviors or yeah. impulsive actions and decisions. And there is more potential risk-taking and boundary testing. And, and honestly, that's a natural part of their development. But I think that is a big piece that makes the fear and isolation and, sure. and the, you know, even the not fitting in-ness feel yeah. more intense, right? Absolutely. So what, I, what I'm hearing you say is they they deal with it differently. They maybe don't experience it differently, but how they process it. Um, well said. Yes. Differently. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting to hear you say that though. I've noticed, I mean, I tend to coach professionals, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, who have been in the workforce for a while and are already on some level successful and just ready to sort of push things to the next level. The handful of times that I've worked with younger people. And when I say that, I do mean in their in their 20s, maybe even mm -hmm. late 20s, um, I always characterize them as saying that that their give a shit is just still too high to do this <laughs> kind of work. <laughs> because yes. there's something about about growing up, about aging, that you you do learn from your life experiences that it just doesn't all matter that much. Totally. Um, and what I love that you've said is you've put the science behind that. And of course, I should be smart enough to have known that to say, your, their brains are not developed enough 
at that point Mm -hmm. to truly know that it doesn't matter that much because to them, it really matters that much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a big part of that brain development is the looking outside of oneself to see like, okay, well, what's going on out here? What's the norm? How are people functioning? What are people doing? What's the expectation, the role? And, you know, taking that in, cataloging it, and then also checking in with themselves, right? That's, there's so many layers and complexities that the adolescent brain is, is taking in and assessing. And so like you're saying, yeah, when we reach our thirties and I actually just wrote an article about this, um, it was about 15 ways I've said yes in my life. And it all started with how a friend wrote me a card when I turned 30 that said, you know, welcome to the time when you give less F's. Sorry. I I love that. Oh no, you (laughs) can say it. Yeah. Like here's the the decade of giving less fucks and being like, here's who I am. This is (laughs) where I am. I'm not checking in. And it's not to the place where we don't care about what's happening around us. Of course not. We have much less pressure and expectation. So you're, you're totally getting it, you know, with this adolescent brain that carries up until our late twenties. And, and so this is, and that comes up in my work with clients as well as just how, can we balance some of that looking outside and that social mind with the, okay, what is my internal compass and internal voice? That's great. This is amazing work. We're going to share the link to that podcast. Or I'm sorry, that blog post in the oh, show thanks. notes. And awesome. I can't personally can't wait to read it. Uh, and I love that you titled it saying yes. We spend so much time because we're all yesers. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of us, but most of us are yesers and we're learning to say no and saying no is important. But one of my very, very favorite books is Shonda Rhimes year of yes. And this, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. Right. This idea that, uh, when you say no to one thing, you're saying yes to another. And, mm-hmm. and I have really worked with myself, with my kids and with my clients to reframe to always come from the positive instead of the negative. So instead of what do I want to say no to, what do I want to say yes to? Um, yes. And as a, and as a result, I'm saying no to something that doesn't. Fail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes the saying yes is they're not always like beautiful or perfect or, absolutely. you know, it comes with a lot of, of challenges or sometimes saying yes is like acknowledging one of the more like shadow or darker parts of ourselves, but mm-hmm. to be able to say yes and acknowledge that part is a step forward in, in growing our lives with intention. Absolutely. Mm. So you say that you help parents uh, find kind but firm methods for leading their children and their teens. And I want to know what what does that mean? Can you give us some examples? Totally. So uh, I come from the positive discipline training. And so as a positive discipline parent educator, I do draw a lot from their curriculum and that those words firm, but kind come from Jane Nelson of positive discipline. And really what it's about is, you know, if we had three different, um, well, okay. So uh, no, I'll take back that example. Okay. So (laughs) what it's really about is saying as a parent, there are structure and there are boundaries. And within those, or as you develop those, there's so much room to be in partnership and to be mutually creating family life with your young people, with your teens, with your children. Instead of building it and demanding their participation. Exactly. So it's it's a massive invitation to having family meetings, to making agreements together, to creating these structures in your family that involve the whole family. And it's where the parenting is not being done to the child, 
but they're, you know, the parent is parenting and the kid is kidding and you're yeah. doing them together and there's crossover and teamwork. And it does, it definitely doesn't take away from the role of parenting. It just is a different philosophy um, behind what that parenting looks like. I think it's great. And I, and I'm sitting here racking my brain going through like how, what of those things do I do? Where can I personally improve? I really do try to honor their voices and give them as much choice as possible. And when they lose their little minds in the morning, like, mm -hmm. okay, wait, what could I have done differently to make that easier? Because this is hard for them. If it's hard for me, it's clearly hard for them. We're all struggling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but of course I fail a thousand times a day, like every other <laughs> parent does, but I every really, human, yes. yeah, right. But I love what you're doing there. And I just think that's the kind of work and starting when they're younger, that's developing a more in touch, a more aware generation of people that will lead us into a society that will be so much more pleasant to live in. Definitely. Yeah. That resonates so much. And that, that is what positive discipline intends, right? It intends to create partnership and to really, it, even though the words social and emotional learning are not really used in the curriculum that I've seen, it's totally what it is, right? It's yeah. like modeling for our young people ways that they can speak up for themselves and advocate and learn what to say yes to and no to and um, feel empowered in feel empowered and have agency. Agency mm -hmm. is a word I use a lot that, yes. you know, you're an agent of change in your life as a young person, in your family life, you know, as a member, member of the family system, in your school, in your neighborhood, et cetera. And, and it's this parenting system really helps parents to create that space in a safe and also nurturing way for their kids to step into that. I love that word agency. I it's valuable. And to uh, that lesson. So again, my kids have sort of grown up in this space. And when my oldest transitioned out of her private progressive ed school and into our public middle mm -hmm. school, one of the first things that happened, the first couple of days of school, and she was in seventh grade, um, the teacher said to their class, you know, this year, we're really going to work with you to self-advocate. But I, I think most of you don't know what that is. We haven't talked about that yet. Who here knows what it means to self-advocate? And my kiddo was the only one out of hundreds to raise her hand. Mm -hmm. And was like, wow. Like, I, I, by the time you're in seventh grade, this is important to know. It is important to know that you have a voice that matters and that you can be a active participant in how your life is going to play out instead of a passive participant in it. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I just, I think it's great. Can you tell me what has been the most difficult struggle for you in this line of work? Well, I'd say that my struggle, you know, like a lot of people I think can probably take this lens. My struggle is something that has also been a gift for me. And um, when you read my blog, you'll see that I talk about this, but my anxiety is one of my struggles. Yeah. You know, I am a person that has dealt with anxiety for years. Again, like I said, in my teenage years, I had anxiety that turned into depression, but I didn't really even have those names for it. And I wasn't in an empowered place. And so anxiety has been a part of my entire adult life. And sometimes that anxiety, you know, shows up in a way where, I'm just overwhelmed. And yeah. so becoming friends with my anxiety and channeling this anxiety into 
my work as a gift, as a way of saying like, okay, well, I'm aware. (laughs) I think of a lot of different ideas and scenarios and that can be a gift, (laughs) right? Because sometimes my what if brain is the thing that can drive me crazy. (laughs) The the monkey brain as a friend of mine calls it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And it's like, but if I can become friends with her, if I can become friends with my anxiety and, and own it as a gift of like, okay, well, I do have the ability to hold all of this information and all of these curiosities that's, that can actually be powerful. So absolutely, yeah, that's again, another uh, transition from twenties to thirties, I think has been rather than feeling ashamed of or frustrated by my anxiety, just learning to be partners with it. Absolutely. Well, because it's somehow trying to protect you from something. Absolutely. Yeah. We did an interview very early on in the show with a friend of mine named Dana, who's has a physical illness that her body attacks her on. And she's like, it took a long time to realize my body didn't hate me. My body was trying to save me. It just wasn't working. (laughs) Mm. Um, So there are a lot of ways that can manifest. I totally, I totally get that. So using that anxiety to inform, how do you let that play into your work? Let it help you and care for yourself in that moment. If your anxiety rises up and gets in the way, uh, what's your process? Well, one way that I have been using my anxiety as a a gift and a tool is I talk about it. I, you know, a lot of times on my Instagram stories, I will talk about an anxiety thought pattern that I'm having. And I share what are the tools that I use to ground myself and to shift my energy. And, you know, this goes back to bringing in like (laughs) doing pushups with a client. Um, you know, I am pretty, I'm just transparent about these are the steps that I'm taking. So this is the thought pattern. This is what I do to, to try to work through it or work with it. And I just share about it because my, the tools that I develop for my anxiety may not be the exact fit for someone else, but it could be something that they try, or it could be a new idea that they're going to experiment with or explore. And so, you know, that's one way that I channel it. Um, another way is just, honestly, it's my anxiety typically comes with to-do lists or transitions. Mm-hmm. And so I also, yeah. I have also been doing a lot of writing around transitions, like seasonal transitions, transition from home to drive to a client mm-hmm. or, you know, it, they could be very big or very small. And so being more mindful of my transitions and creating space and slowing down and just walking through the transitions in the most mindful ways that I can is, is another way that I've it's brilliant. Yeah. Shifted that. It's really, really, really brilliant and honoring that process for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll add is what I, what I want to do and what I am doing, you know, as a mental health advocate is normalizing in a sense, like not saying that being depressed is quote normal in a place that we should just um, accept it and not sure. give it energy, but like normal that, Hey, this isn't a, this is a human experience that yeah. shouldn't be stigmatized. Yeah. And so that's also why I share very transparently about it. And, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll share about the tools that I use and when it fits into the context with a client and just offer it as another, again, another invitation for something for them to try if it feels right to them. Absolutely. And we're all very different learners, Um, you know, how we problem solve is different. It, my 
daughter, again, my, my third grader is interesting. Her class is going to explode this year. I just know it. Um, they teach, you know, how to come at things strategically and creatively instead of sort of memorization and then do the same thing when it comes to math. And so last week, the teacher gave them each a math problem, the same math problem to work on individually. And then they came together as a group and they're small classes. I think there are, I don't know, 13 kids in the class and each of them shared their strategy for having solved the problem. Mm -hmm. And that one of the children noticed that none of them had used the same strategy for solving the problem, 13 kids. And so the teacher says, okay, well, what does that tell you? Mm -hmm. And the kids said that there are lots of different ways to solve a problem. Yes. That's beautiful. Like, yes. Right. And so managing your anxiety and learning, these are the things that trigger me and make me unhappy and uncomfortable. And I can create change around that. So it doesn't have to feel that bad is just amazing. So what was your, or so far, what would you say your greatest joy has been? Well, that's, that's a hard one to pick. I know. Um, I'm sure. I really think, you know, like I, I just keep thinking back to this blog because I just wrote it. Um, My birthday is coming up this week. Are you turning 30 this week? I'm turning 33. 33. Um, Okay. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Thanks. So it's been a nice time, a nice month to reflect on what these last three years have meant because they have been filled with a lot of big transitions and big leaps and big risks that I've taken. And and, um, so I think my greatest joy, honestly, is I just finished last school year and had been in the classroom part-time. And so now I wake up every day and I'm a full-time entrepreneur. And this is, I would say that this has been such a joy, you know, to wake up in a life that is not always easy and has been full of, you know, all the ups and downs and all of that. But it's the, it's the life that I have intentionally been creating and I'm continuing to create in an aware way every single day. And so I think that that's, you know, that's the biggest joy is like, I'm, I'm just so awake to my own process. And this is a gift, you know, it's the gift that I keep giving myself every day. Great. Thank you. I just think it's really, really brilliant. I'm thinking of all the different ways I can use your tools. Do you, do you just do the coaching or do you have any, any programs or anything that can help people who aren't quite ready for coaching? So the, the main things I have going on are one-on-one coaching. I have a blog that is very active. I publish every Tuesday. So that's a great space for parents to connect with me and to see my work and kind of feel out the philosophies and and ideas that I share. So that's my blog at CourtneyHarrisCoaching.com. And in early uh, 2019, I will have a book for coming out. It's Congratulations. Or, thank you. It's a book for parents of teenagers. Parents rather. of teenagers. Okay. Yes. Right. And um, I also do workshops. And so I've done workshops both in person as well as virtually, which has been really cool. The, the virtual workshops have been for parents more than teenagers. I haven't had one of those yet, but I'm super open and, and always putting together new content to support young people. I love that. How do you celebrate these successes, whether they're the really big ones you talked about earlier or the small ones? How do you stop and honor them? Well, I love, first of all, that you um, are asking this because this is a question that a client and I were working on last week. And, you know, she said, I don't celebrate myself enough. And so we've been talking a lot about this, Mm -hmm. which is exciting. And, you know, I do small ways like um, I'm currently doing the artist's way 
And every day I wake up and I write morning pages. So it's a, a series of writing at least three pages each morning. And I notice that in those pages, I'm giving myself credit for the work that I'm doing, you know, Love for this that. journey that I'm on. Yeah. Um, I also keep a one sentence journal. So I've been doing this. I'm in my fifth year using Gretchen Rubin's. Um, it's the one sentence journal. Uh-huh. I think that's what it's called. So I'm doing that. Honestly, I, I call my A team. I call my sister. I talk to my partner. I talk to my parents and I tell them what's up. And I also, one thing that I have been hugely aware of in this last couple of months is the ways that I've really been investing in my support system. And so, for example, I have a writing group. I have an accountability partner. I participate in different women's business groups. So I have this like really broad, depending on what I'm celebrating or what challenge I'm facing, I know who I can go to pretty much all of the time. And I realize that this is something I've been investing a lot of time and energy into the last year that has been feeding me and fueling me. So, you know, I'll reach out to them to celebrate. Absolutely. I love that so much. That personal board of directors, that tribe yes, we have exactly. is mm-hmm. so imperative to a healthy life. So imperative. I Truly. Love yes. It, love it. Love it. Love it. I've decided I used to listen back to these episodes and go, I say, I love that too much. <laughs> and no, somebody, I know I, I well, it, I was like, oh, I say that too much. I should stop saying that. And I kind of, I posted about it on Facebook and a woman said, well, just honor it and let it be your catchphrase. And I was like, yeah, I love love the reframe on that. So yes, I love it. Um, That's fantastic. So as we come to the close of the episode, which I kind of hate to do, because I think you and I could talk for a very long time. (laughs) I agree. I would love to know uh, what your favorite charitable organization is to support. Well, the first one that came to mind is SAFE. This is a local Austin organization, and they've had a few transitions lately in merging. Um, But SAFE basically is all about ending sexual assault and exploitation and child abuse and domestic violence. As a sexual abuse survivor, this is super important to me as someone that has worked with a lot of young people that have been, have gone through abuse and have had Felt, they felt so supported by the programs that SAFE offers. I am just a huge advocate for them. Love what they do. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's incredibly important work. Uh, finally starting to get some traction, yes. I think, nationally that, that this that this is a much bigger problem than most people realized and that we're Absolutely. children and, and adults who were abused as children have been hiding that and it's informing their life. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. As always, you guys go out, check them out. If you're in the Austin area and you can give your time or your resources, please do so. If not, share them, check out their Facebook page, whatever it is. We're building stronger communities together and we need your support to do that. Courtney, could you share your three words with us one more time? Yes. Yeah, so my three words are sensitive, gifted, and aware. Those are really lovely words, and I they're words that we haven't had yet on the show, which is oh, cool. um, kind of fun. Talk to me a little bit about sensitive. Yeah, so sensitive really came into play for me starting at the, at, in 2017 as far as, as a tool for me. So growing up, I would definitely hear so often, oh, you're so sensitive, mm. or even worse, you're too sensitive. Yeah, I have and, one of those. <laughs> yes, totally. And so... That when I decided that I wanted to start 
transforming my journey from being a teacher to something else. I took this time of discernment and I took a a job that I would consider sort of the buying time job. It was something I was doing to pay the rent while I went into this personal journey of exploration. And in this job, it actually turned out to be a pretty traumatic um, experience for me. And I was told over and over that my sensitivity was problematic and that was when I decided, no, I'm going to harness this and this is going to be my gift. And so I actually launched a blog at that time called Delicate, Sensitive and Gifted because I know that my sensitivity, my awareness of what's happening around me is actually my gift, that I can be in tune with the energy of a room or or pick up on the fact that someone around me may not be doing well or is feeling yeah. off today and yeah. that my sensitivity to to just myself and to the world is really something that allows me a certain kind of insight that mm-hmm. I want to celebrate and not think of as a hindrance. Honoring that EQ, right? Over the yes, IQ. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yes. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Thank you. Courtney, this was great. I, I loved having you on the show. You know, I've said this many times before, and if you guys keep listening, you're going to hear it again, but our children are the most important thing. They are our future. Um, we can't sit back and passively let things happen to them. We have to empower or help them get empowered, figure out how to empower themselves and be informed. We have to give them the tools required to lead healthier, happier, and smarter lives. And Courtney, you are on the ground doing that work. Thank you so, so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you, Heather. Thanks so much. Okay, you guys, that is it for today. I am excited to share next week's episode with you. So make sure you stay tuned every Thursday morning. I am grateful that you're here on this journey with me. This is Heather Vickery reminding you, as always, to choose bravely. The Brave Files is proudly supported by Audible. If you enjoy listening to podcasts, you're sure to love listening to your favorite books on Audible. Get your free 30-day trial, complete with a credit for a free audiobook download today, simply by visiting audibletrial.com slash thebravefiles. Again, that's visiting audibletrial.com slash thebravefiles. The Brave Files is proudly supported by Lost Format Apparel, a socially conscious clothing company. You already know that homelessness is a huge problem. Over half a million Americans are living without shelter and millions more without consistent access to everyday basics. My friends at Lost Format know that solving homelessness is a much larger problem than any one company or person can solve on their own. It requires teamwork, sacrifice, strength, and building communities through personal and professional relationships. And isn't that exactly what the Brave Files podcast is all about? That's why I'm proud to say that The Brave Files has partnered with Lost Format, and together we're working to change the face of consumerism in addressing homelessness. You can now get one of two fantastic shirts custom designed specifically for The Brave Files. Each order goes towards providing necessities to the homeless. We have one shirt that, of course, says Choose Bravely, and another that reminds you that brave is always greater than fearless. Head on over to vickeryandco.com slash store to see both beautiful shirts and to check out the entire product line from Lost Format. All of their stuff is super soft and comfortable and has an amazing fit. Use promo code BRAVE 
to get 10% off of your Brave Files custom t-shirts. And if you have an order over $30, your shipping is free. I choose bravely to take the plunge to help solve homelessness. Are you with me? Thank you for listening to The Brave Files. Be sure to visit thebravefilespodcast.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. Music composed and produced by Matt Lewis of Union Music, LLC. Special thanks to our editor and audio mix expert, Andrew Olson. I am eternally grateful for all that he does to make each week sound so fantastic. You can hear more of Andrew's work at findandrewolson.com.